This is Shutters Inc. with Bruce Williams. Hi and welcome to episode 499 of Shutters Inc. This is Bruce Williams from ShuttersIncPodcast.com and joining me once again from Allentown in Pennsylvania, it is Mr. Joe Edelman. How are you, Joe? I am great, Bruce. How are you this week? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Very good. What's What's been happening in your week? Uh, same old, same old. You know, I finally got my finally got my COVID vaccine, so that was cool. Oh, but sweet. other than that, uh, you know, plugging along, itching to get back out there. I got a couple more weeks before the vaccine says I'm allowed to go and act like a normal person. Right. So. <laughs> so is this is this the one jab variant or the two jab variant? I got the Pfizer one, which is a two jab. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I go back in a couple weeks for the second one, and then they say it's like two weeks and. Then it's at full efficacy, so nice. we'll, we'll see. Nice. So, I I haven't. I probably should have, but I haven't really researched this. How long are they saying that the vaccination will be good for? They're not sure yet. Right. They, yeah, well, that's, that uh, from, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. From what I understand, there are there are two main variables. I'm sure there's many more, but there's two main variables in coming up with that answer. One is they're still kind of testing that to figure out how long it's going to last. And then the second one is all of the different variants from around the world yeah. may wind up, you know, any one of them could wind up picking up strength and then making these somewhat ineffective. Yeah, so, right. Yep. It's, uh, it's the big question mark. Yeah, right. Oh, well, that's, I mean, it's, it's great that you, you know, got the first of your two jabs. Yeah, that's nice, awesome. Ni- nice to take a first step. It'll be good to see the grandkids again and, you know, to be yeah. out and be able to get out and actually see people face to face so yeah yeah fantastic and how's the weather in your in, end of the world oh see should be cool i'm a little, no, I'm, I'm a little superstitious now. yeah i'm a little superstitious so i wish you hadn't have asked that because we we just <laughs> we, we just we just had three really great days bruce like in the 70s nice and and the way our weather works this time of year that's usually a precursor to it being about 10 degrees tomorrow <laughs> So, um, and I'm talking Fahrenheit. So yeah, it's, so yeah, right now it's, it's pretty good, but I seriously doubt it's ready to last yet. We we do a lot of ups and downs in the early spring. Yeah. I, I, I always find that, you know, spring and autumn or fall, as you would call it, that they're always very much a seesaw with regards daily temperatures, you know. For sure. As as we're heading into summer, you'll get a couple of nice warm days. And then as you say, suddenly it's freezing cold again. And then as you're heading into winter, it's much the same. It starts cooling down and then suddenly, wham, you hit with a heat wave. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So yeah, Yeah. that's, and the funny part of it is, it's kind of really out of touch with it at this point, because we spend so much time inside. Of course. I mean, I, I I get out every day to walk the dogs, but there's like brief, you know, time periods that I'm out. Yeah. So, yeah. but it is nice not to feel like the, you know, Michelin man. I don't know if you guys have the Michelin man <laughs> I, down I, there, but I know the in, reference. In, in, the, in the winter time, okay, in the in the winter time to go out and walk the dogs, I'm like, you know, bundled up to the point that I feel like I'm just waddling along, you know, so it's nice to not do that at this point. Yeah. If I fall over, I won't hurt myself. <laughs> that's That's right. For sure. Uh, Excellent. Now, last week when we spoke, uh, Mm -hmm. you were talking about you were about to be interviewed by somebody else. How did that go? Yeah. So I think it was interesting. Um, I have had uh, folks that follow me on YouTube and follow my talk chat podcast and that for a while saying, you know, it'd be really cool if you interviewed yourself or had somebody (laughs) else interview you. 
And I'm like, okay, well, you guys hear me talk all the time. I don't know why. But I <laughs> went to my Facebook group and I said, okay, here's your chance. What questions do you want answered? Mm-hmm. And uh, they get, gave me about 30 questions. So I said, all right, the deal is this. I'm going to find somebody to do the interview. I'm going to hand them the questions. But I'm not going to tell them they have to use all the questions. They can use whatever ones they want. And they can, they're going to do the interview so they can ask their own. Yep. And we did that recorded the interview, and then I did answer all the rest of the questions, but I actually had my guest from two weeks ago, uh, a gentleman by the name of Robert Trawick, who's a awesome Fuji shooter from Oklahoma in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and he, uh, we kind of turned the tables, so I had interviewed him for Talk Chat, and he uh, willingly came back and, and interviewed me, and Robert's a fun guy. He uh, He's one of those guys, especially when you're on the other side of the interview, you, you never really know what to expect. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a good time. But, um, you know, I think at least from the feedback, people found it interesting. I do talk about my career a lot, mm-hmm. but it was an opportunity for people to kind of get the, the full story um, to some of the stories that I tell because I frequently will kind of tell like an abridged version of them, you know, if I'm doing an interview or that. So Yeah, nice. Awesome. Yeah. And I think this week on Tog Chat you were talking about posing hands. Was that right? Yes, I did. So so I'm actually just to confuse people like yourself, mm-hmm. I'm I'm making some changes in, in all of the things that I'm doing. The the podcast I started reluctantly. People right. were complaining that they, they didn't always have the time to listen to Talk Chat. So they said, hey, can you make it available as a podcast? And sure. I started doing that at first and realized that it kind of sucked as a podcast because I was doing a lot of visual things. It was on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. So then I thought, well, you know what? Let's dive in and let's see what can happen with the podcast. And I'm actually really enjoying the podcast because it's primarily an interview format. And I'm getting to learn a little, about, little bit about your world with audio. Yep. So I kind of switched it up a little bit, and Talk Chat is now exclusively the podcast. But on Wednesday nights, I still do my live stream, and it is called The Last Frame right. Live. And right. so, yes, this week, my whole topic was actually an experiment. I thought, well, you know, people frequently, they tell me that they like the way I teach and they like the amount of preparation I put into it, but they also like when I'm doing the Q&As and somebody asks me a topic that I will sometimes just go off and do a 15-minute lesson of <laughs> experience that I have had. Sure. So I've had people asking for that. So if I'm being really honest, I was running behind schedule this week and had <laughs> not had time to prepare properly. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Let's try it. And so I happened to have gotten an email from somebody asking for tips on hand posing. And I was like, I could talk for 10 or 15 minutes on that. So I got on the camera at 6 p.m. in the evening and wound up doing a solid hour on hand posing. Wow. <laughs> Never wow. stopped. And I could have kept going. I, I mean, it's um, so it actually kind of was, you know, finished up and said, hey, there's there's maybe something to this. Maybe I should, you know, do a little bit more along those lines. And so uh, I even actually invested in a what they call a PTZ camera. It's basically like a network camera this week that's okay. got auto tracking in it so that I can do some of the similar formats actually in my studio, but the camera will track around and follow me as I walk around a model or adjust lights or that kind of stuff. Right. So I won't, won't be working with a model anytime soon, but I have a mannequin. Her name is Lola. She's actually, she's pretty hot. <laughs> so uh, 
she'll be my subject, you know, for the time being. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, and honestly, it was a lot of fun. It was really just like having a conversation with people like, okay, if you want to know about posing hands, here's, here's my thought process. And, and typical of many of the things that you've heard me talk about, I don't always do things the way everybody else does. Um, <laughs> and, and the problem with the idea of posing hands, it's that word pose. Yeah. You, you can't pose hands. You shouldn't pose hands. And it's really, really unfortunate that there are way too many people in the photography world, on YouTube, writing books, selling, you know, a, a million solutions to great posing and great hand posing and all that. And, and they're really making it impossible for photographers because they're not teaching them what they need to know. They're not teaching them to pay attention to body language. They're not teaching them to actually ask themselves, forget the subject for a minute, they're not teaching them to ask themselves, what am I trying to communicate with this picture? What, what is, so even if it's just a pretty girl, okay, fine, but what is this picture? Is it a bikini babe? Is she supposed to be doing something glamorous? Whatever it is, the answer to that simple question starts to give you the concept of one, what should the emotion be of the picture? And emotion drives body language. Right. The one thing, you know, we can lie really easy with our words. It's really hard as a human to lie with your body language. So yeah. if, we get, if we get the emotion right, we're already 50% of the way to getting the hands right and everything else. And then at that point, indeed, it's, you know, knowing little tricks and little things that will help you get relaxed and natural hands or, if necessary, elegant hands that are making a dramatic statement and so for me, my approach, it's all about body language. It's all about communicating with my subject. It's definitely paying attention to the body language and all the little details of what's going on. But one word that is banned in my studio, and even makeup artists that work with me know never even say this word in conversation, and that word is pose. Right. First of all, it's a four-letter word. Secondly, it, it has the connotation of don't move. Right. And that that tends to make people stiff right out of the box. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, the moment you ask someone to to stay still, it, it it's like everything becomes rigid. It's no longer yep, natural in, to a certain sure. extent. Absolutely. And certainly there are, you know, there are images where you may want that little bit of tension or you may want the person looking very stoic or even somewhat statuesque. That's certainly there's a scenario and a reason for that at times. But if we want yeah. picture, you know, if we want images where the person looks relaxed and like they're enjoying themselves and we want the body language to also be relaxed, then pose is just not a good word to use. I'd like to break into the podcast briefly to mention that we now have a Patreon account. If you get any value at all from our photographic giggle fest each week we'd really appreciate it if you could spare a couple of bucks a month just to help keep the servers running the link will be in the show notes much appreciated now back to the podcast how do you approach all of that when the person you are shooting is someone you don't know like i've i've found in the past you know if I do mm -hmm. a portrait shoot with someone who's a friend who who has rung me up and gone, hey, Bruce, can you do some headshots for me? And I go, yeah, of course, man, come over, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yep. It's, it's so much easier to work with someone you know. The moment 
you know, you get a, a cold referral, you know, someone who rings you out of the blue and says, oh, hi, Bruce, my name's so-and-so. I got your name, number right. from somebody else. Uh, I'm after some corporate headshots. They said you could help me out. And you go, yep, not a problem yet. The moment you're working, or, or this has been my experience, the moment I'm working mm-hmm. with someone that I don't know, yep, that whole process feels a little more rigid, even from my side. How do right. you deal with that? I mean, you've you've been working as a professional photographer for sure. probably way more years than you care to admit. Um, how how, go did, ahead, how go do ahead. you just get that age dig in there? Go ahead. Yep. So, um, <laughs> oh, don't worry. Well, mate. I, I would say the same thing all, about my audio. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, good. So, I mean, it, it's a mindset. Um, I, you know, I, I think one of the things that helps if you, if you find any great portrait photographer, and I'm not using the word great in front of my name, but I'm just saying any great portrait photographer, and you get the opportunity to have a five minute conversation with them, ask them how they feel about that challenge. And, and they're going to tell you that they enjoy the challenge. It, it, it's almost like it's a sport, first of all. Right. But, you know, the tips that I would give people really simple is the first thing is you have got to remember that the, the act and art of photographing a person, whether you're doing it creatively like the crazy beauty shots that I do or whether it's a portrait for their LinkedIn page, yep. it is a process of relationship building. So notice I'm explaining all of this without talking about a camera yet. Yeah. So given that it's a relationship process, your challenge is try to keep the camera out of the equation. So that means, and it's, it's, it's everything from the little things to the big things. It means doing proper prep in advance to make sure that person's going to show up with the right outfits and they're going to be properly prepared, making sure that that person knows what to expect. By doing those things, everybody's on the same page. You're putting that person at ease. Once they get there, you should already be prepared. Your gear should be set up. Your lighting should be set up. Even if you're planning multiple shots with variations in lighting, you should have your first shot set up, tested, ready to go. No test shots needed, nothing. That way, once that person is ready and you, so to speak, bring them on the set and put them in front of the camera, you're still not going to pick up the camera right away, but you're going to get them on that set and you're going to talk. You're going to keep talking. You're going to have conversations with them. And even better yet, even if you, if I hate to shoot on tripod, I only shoot on a tripod out of necessity, but I will always start with my camera on a tripod when the person comes on the set. And my first couple of frames, they're going to be done with that camera on a tripod. Half the time, that camera may not even be properly composing a shot. I don't care. It's simply a matter of being able to take a couple pictures with me out of the equation so that they're in the groove of being photographed. I'm getting a really, really good look at are there any nervous elements or tension elements to their body language. And then even if I am going to pick up the camera, I'm going to keep talking to them. I'm going to keep them engaged. So you notice what I'm leaving out of that conversation is fumbling with my gear. Yeah. That's not their problem. That's my problem. So, you know, if I am not good enough that I can do it really quick on the fly, I need to be prepared enough in advance so that they come in, I'm ready to go. And that way, the the whole process, it's really actually about, you know, figuratively sitting down with someone that you've just met and having a cup of coffee or having a beer and shooting the breeze. Mm. That's really kind of what you want the process to be. You're always going to not only get better expressions, have the person more relaxed, but think about this from a business standpoint. 
every picture, especially when you are the subject, there is an emotional attachment to it. Just like we as the photographers, we get emotionally attached to pictures and not necessarily everybody else likes them. So if the person comes to you and has a good experience, enjoys the experience, they enjoy the way they were treated, they enjoyed the conversation we've had, they already like your pictures a little bit more, even before they get them. Yeah. Because they had a good experience doing those pictures. So you're also helping your own cause and, and, you know, streamlining the process and eliminating some friction because you're creating a great experience. For a portrait photographer especially, if you're just selling pictures and selling prints, you are essentially handicapping your ability to make the big bucks. Because especially with younger clients, if you're not selling an experience they're not seeing as much value in what you do. Because let's face it, people can pick up their phones today and take a functional picture. Yeah, yeah. So the experience is a key piece of it. Interesting. I wanted to just roll back to something you were saying earlier about, Mm -hmm. you know, people on the internet selling, you know, all these guides to posing and and so on. Uh, You just want to get me in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Um, You know, you, 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 you mentioned about, you know, those things don't address every variable. And what I was going to add to that was that I see exactly, you know, parallels to that in so many of the audio forums that I frequent in that, you know, you'll get someone who'll go, oh, what's, what's the best microphone for miking an acoustic guitar? And it's like, well... How long is a piece of string? You know, there's so many variables there. You know, what size is the acoustic guitar? Because that's going to, you know, vary the the frequencies and the overtones that it generates. How big is the room that you're recording in? What's the room treated with? You know, is it a highly reverberant room or is it a really dead room? You know, how close is the microphone going to be to the guitar? And then then you've got the microphone itself and there's, you know, as many microphones Mm -hmm. as there are cameras. Then you've got, you know, the signal that leaves that goes through a mic pre. So what kind of mic preamp are you recording through? And, you know, know, and so I, I... kind of understand exactly what you're saying about, you know, all these, you know, supposedly guidebooks on how to pose hands or or, or whatever it may be. There's just too many variables for any of that to really be useful until you understand all of the underlying reasoning for why you do anything. Sure. And when it comes to people, I mean, you know, many of the things that I was talking about, they're really psychology-based. Yeah. For, for photographing people, and I, I use this analogy all the time, but I, I really firmly believe it. 80% of my work, it's psychology. 20% of it is photography. And that photography <laughs> piece, it needs to happen effortlessly and instinctively. Yeah. When I've got a person in front of my camera, if I'm nose down in my gear, then you know I'm not engaging that subject the way I should be. And, and so many photographers, honestly, they, they don't, they don't monitor themselves well. I, I frequently use this caricature, but I have seen many photographers do this where they've got a pretty young girl in front of their camera and they're not completely set up. They get everything together and they go to take their first test shots and they make the first mistake by saying to the model, okay, do something. <laughs> Never say that to a model because that's a challenge. I don't care how experienced she is. But then they take their test shot, they look at the back of the camera and literally verbally are like, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> well, 
No better way to make somebody feel good when they're in front of your camera and or to build confidence, right? <laughs> and then to make it worse, they act like they're, um, you know, some kind of master artist. And I'm talking about a caricature of a master artist. They will actually physically take a step backwards, cross their arms, you know, with the the thumb uh, <laughs> underneath the chin and the, the index finger on the top lip, and then stare at the subject as if they are going to have some moment of inspiration and revelation hit them that is going to take that oh crap away so that they can create art, right? And, and it just doesn't work that way because the way our brains work, when you take that step back and you're staring, the reality of it is, is your brains are taking in everything all the way out to your peripheral vision. And so everything that's in front of you. So actually the best thing that you can do when you've had that oh crap moment and not said it out loud is actually lie to your subject. If you feel you need to say something, lie to your subject and say, this is looking really good. I want to try a couple more angles to see which is going to be best. And you pick the camera back up to your eye and you keep taking pictures. Now, indeed, we've already established it's an oh crap picture. It's not good. (laughs) But by picking the camera up to your eye, you're accomplishing two things that are positives and will help you. One, your subject is hearing Click, 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 click. Because yeah. I, I, I keep using the young girl reference, you know. So especially for you photographers that do shoot young women, please don't think that what they want to hear is, oh, yeah, oh, 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 baby, that's hot. Yeah. Oh, no, that is not what they want to hear hmm. while you're shooting, right? They want to hear click, 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 click. And the other benefit is while you're looking through your viewfinder, you're seeing a picture come together. So, yes, when you start, It's a bad picture. We already established that. But it's much easier to look at that image and be asking yourself, what is it that I'm not liking? What can I change? And now your brain is not getting bombarded with all of this additional information. You're actually looking at an image you know, through the viewfinder. So, so that's where, you know, you avoid a lot of that by, by doing the advanced prep, especially with exposure and lighting. There's no excuse for not doing that in advance. I don't care if you're relatively new to the game, you know, because I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound judgmental to a new photographer. So I'll give a quick tip. Let's say you're a brand new photographer. You haven't been shooting that well. And maybe this is your first paid gig. So hypothetically, you're going to go out and you're going to shoot some pictures of a, a real estate agent, like in their office. Well, you can't go to their office and practice, but you can set up your lights in your living room, in your garage. Heck, you could do it in any small room. And then do some test shots. If you have a spouse or significant other, use them. If you can afford cameras and lighting gear, you can afford to buy a mannequin. Mannequins are really, really inexpensive. You can get them on Amazon. Here in the U.S., it's like $60, $60 U.S., so they're really inexpensive. Yep. Get a mannequin, figure out your lighting, figure out the exposure, but then don't pack your gear up. You can go to a dollar store, and I'm sure you have dollar stores or the equivalent in yep. Australia, yep. and just get a roll of string. And then what you do is you tie a piece of string to each light stand, stretch it to the mannequin's face and cut the string. (laughs) And then uh, with a little notepad, you write down what were your power settings of each of those strobes and how tall, how high did you have the strobe set with your modifier? Yep. Now, when you go into that realtor's office, you put an X on the floor where you're going to have your person stand and you set up all your lights on the light stands and you stretch out the string so they're the right distance. Mm -hmm. You measure the height for the height 
And you know that when you take that first frame, if you were shooting at 5.6 in your home, it's going to be 5.6 there, right out of the box. You're ready. You have the confidence of knowing this lighting will look good for a portrait. This is my exposure. You're ready to hit the ground running, and you're going to impress the heck out of your client. Yeah. So it's all about putting in the hard work. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, so it doesn't matter what your skill level is. It's about, I mean, even when I, when I go and do a presentation at a trade show where I'm going to have three or 400 people watching and I'm on a stage, I'm not that good. I don't walk <laughs> up on that stage and say, hey, so let's see what we can create today. Of course not. I've worked all that out in advance in my studio. Yeah. And I'm going to walk up there and I'm going to replicate it because while I'm taking those pictures, I've also got to talk to people. Yeah. So I'm not going to take any chances of having to sit there and bumble around with my gear. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. While you were talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, but what if you don't know what the client's office looks like? But then I think, but in this day and age, you could easily have that conversation on the phone and say, hey, listen, can you just snap a couple of quick images of your office on your phone and flick them to me on email just so I've got an idea of the space we're going to be working with? You know, that's so easy to do. Yep. And you can take a great portrait so I do this little thing. So in addition to the string that I just told you about, the way that I teach that to photographers, I, I call it the five-foot rule. And I hate that word rule, so I should have called it the five-foot <laughs> guideline. But uh, basically, imagine, if you will, a circle. And I apologize, I'm not going to know all the metrics, so I'll let you translate. But I- imagine, if you will, a circle with uh, a 10-foot diameter. So diameter for any of you that aren't remembering, that's mm-hmm. the, the length all the way across, right? So, yeah, so that means from any point in the circle, it's five feet to the center. So the point is, if I set my flash on the stand five feet from my subject, I can then move that flash anywhere around that circle. And as long as I keep it at that five foot radius, yep. it's the same exposure. The exposure never changes. Correct. And then likewise, if I put my subject in the middle of this circle and I put my background five feet from the subject, I now have a lighting setup that I can do in 10 running feet of space. Yep. And I don't need 10 feet of width. So now indeed, I know there are going to be some people who say, yeah, I've had to work in much smaller spaces. Yes, that happens. Photography is problem solving. But you're right. <laughs> if you ask the people for a quick picture, it's no different than, you know, these days, a landscape photographer or better yet, like an architectural photographer, they're going to go Google Street View yeah. to find out what the location looks like before they get there. Yep. Right. So it's the same thing. We, we, we do have that luxury that everybody's got a camera. I do that when I prepare model shoots. Uh, if I want to know what outfits they're bringing, because I'm not just going to say, hey, bring a bunch of outfits. Yeah. That's like a recipe for disaster. Yep. I'll tell them what we're looking for, and I make them send me pictures, selfies, because there are. I've yet to meet the girl in the year 2021 that can't take a, a mirror selfie. <laughs> so so I, you know, I just tell them, it's like, look, don't lay the outfit on the bed. I, I want it on you. I want to see what it looks like. I don't care what your makeup looks like. I don't care what your hair looks like. That's why we have a makeup artist come in. Yep. I want to see the outfit on you personally. And yeah, you know, they'll, they'll send me the text in a heartbeat. In fact, if I ask them to text it, I'll get it 10 times faster than if I ask them to attach it to an email. Yeah, of course. So. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, the only other thing that I wanted to uh, bring up this week was something that mm-hmm. I saw through the week, and that was on SonyAlphaRumors.com. 
talk of Uh-oh. Sony having just announced a 128 megapixel sensor <laughs> with a global shutter. Uh, and I had to I actually had to reach out to Glenn and say, what's a global shutter? Because I'd never heard the term. Um, mm-hmm. And he explained it to me that instead of it exposing line by line across the sensor, it actually basically exposes the entire sensor in one go. Is that your understanding yep. of it? Uh, that is my understanding, and that's about as deep as my understanding goes. Right. But I, before you even get into this, I have two quick responses. Yep. So one, Sony's a four-letter word. Just saying. <laughs> two, two, 128 megapixels. They kind of wimped out because that other four-letter word company, Fuji, they got 150. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a sensor that allegedly, according to this uh, article, is going to be rolled out initially for. Uh, industrial purposes. It's not going to yes. be uh, in anything that you're going to buy off the shelf anytime soon. But yep. I would imagine at some point down the track, it will probably end up in a E-mount camera, but who's to say? Joe, yeah, you, I mean, you had different I, thoughts on this? I do. I, I mean, certainly, let's be clear, it's very possible, right? Sure. Um, and, and folks, I'm not taking a pot shot here, so this one's not a joke, but I'm just being real. You know, the way Sony users are, meaning they are diehard fans of what Sony hands them, uh, Sony would probably be able to sell that camera and sell it very well. But I am still a big believer that we are getting close to hitting the wall on sensor size, megapixels, camera size, camera weight. It's reaching a point where it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's simply not practical. And there's actually very little real need for it. Yeah. And I always use the example, and I think Bruce, you and I have probably talked about this before. I always use the example of what we see with, you know, Apple and the iPhone and Samsung with theirs and Google with the Pixel. You know, here are devices that are using incredibly small sensors, but yet they are putting out amazingly high quality images and they're doing it through software. Yeah. So, you know, at some point it simply makes sense that we say, okay, there's always going to be an industrial use for a 300 megapixel camera or sensor, but for the average, you know, photographer, even for photographers with high end commercial needs, there's going to be a point where you say, you know what, 50 megapixels is going to be way more than enough, but let's take that and let's push it even further and let's work with, you know, what we're able to do with software. And in fact, uh, I have not tried it yet, but I read an article just earlier today and it was a real short article. I saw it go by. It was in uh, DIYphotography.net, which is mm-hmm. you know, one of the photo blogs, yep. the very latest version of Photoshop. CC. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, you don't have it, but download it. They have uh, something that's apparently called a super resolution tool. And the um, headline of this article is I bumped a 100 megapixel photo to 375 megapixel using Photoshop's super resolution tool. So it's apparently a new feature that's in Adobe Camera Raw, which also means then potentially that it'll be coming to Lightroom. Because right. the plugin, the plugin for Adobe Camera Raw is the same plugin that runs 
the yeah. develop panel in Lightroom. But it's basically upsizing the image by a factor of up to four using artificial intelligence. Wow. So, um, yeah, and here, here's a quote actually from um, Adobe. So the super resolution builds on technology that Adobe launched two years ago called Enhanced Details, which uses machine learning to interpolate raw files with a high degree of fidelity, which resulted in images with crisp details and fewer artifacts. The term super resolution refers to the process of improving the quality of a photo by boosting its apparent resolution. And then it goes on to say, enlarging a photo often produces blurry details, but super resolution has an ace up its sleeve, an advanced machine learning model trained on millions of photos backed by this vast training set. Super resolution can intelligently enlarge photos while maintaining clean edges and preserving important details. Wow. So you take that math, you can go back to like a Nikon D700, which was 12 megapixels. Yeah. And then that, cam- that camera's putting out 48.2 megapixels. Yeah, right. So, uh, so I haven't seen it. I can't say how great it works, but it's, it's logical that that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we, because we're already doing those kinds of things with software in the begin- to begin with. All the smartphone companies are doing it. So for me, I mean, obviously... Sony makes a lot of money off of sensors. Forget the cameras. Sony makes a lot of money off of sensors. Yeah. So I have no doubt that Sony is going to keep developing bigger, better, et cetera. Of course. You know, that's what any that's what any company's going to do. But you really have to wonder at what point do we start to realize in order to support those cameras, we need bigger processors in the camera. We have to have more space for the processors because of the heat that they generate. That also means bigger lens mounts, which means bigger lenses. <laughs> and, and how big are we going to go? It's like, is there really a benefit and how many people need that? Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know. I'm not so sure that we will actually, you know, get to one of the main Sony line that goes up that high. Mm. Interesting. I just, at some point, we I think we have to be looking at there's more than one way to get this job done Yeah. when it comes to that resolution. And software would be a lot easier, a lot cheaper. Yeah. So, I don't know if I ever mentioned it to you. I know I said it to Glenn, but, mm-hmm. you know, when I bought my A7 III, mm-hmm. Glenn mistakenly said to me, oh, how, how are you enjoying your, your A7R three? And I said, oh, I didn't get the R three. I got the A7 III. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, what's the difference? And I said, well, the <laughs> A7 III is 24 megapixel and the A7R three is 42 megapixel. And he said, right. why didn't you get the R three? And I said, because I didn't want the resolution. <laughs> I'm yep. very happy with 24 megapixel. I think it sure. works beautifully. And, it does. You know, I don't have to deal with files that are, you know, twice the size or, you know, and and the added ingest time that it takes to pull all of those images off the memory card. You know, I I think 24 is a a great sweet spot. I can get everything I need out of that. Sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's, I think we have some cool stuff to come, but at least for me, and and maybe my opinion is is biased because I don't want huge cameras. I mean, that's why I'm an Olympus user, right? But, um, I, I really hope that the, the software development continues to go forward because I think that it just, to me, that just makes more sense. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I just got myself a new cell phone and, mm-hmm. you know, it shoots 64 megapixel photos, you know, so it's, yep. you know, three, four times the resolution of my A7 III. Uh, but, you know, you're right. I mean, what, 
cell phones are doing now is amazing. I mean, okay, you don't sure. get quite the great depth of field that you might get with a, a good right. wide lens, but right. they're, they're getting close. You know, you get these phones that have got multiple cameras on them and, you know, they've, they're, yeah, they're getting better and better every day. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think for, for photographers, not the average person, yep. I, I don't think we'll ever reach that point where we've got one camera that does everything. No. And, and let's face it, we're all gear junkies, so we wouldn't be happy if that happened anyway. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's no different than a carpenter, you know, has different tools for different things. They've got different exactly. suppliers. They've got different hammers. You know, it's going to be the same for photography. But, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting to me, the photo industry is, you know, many of the companies in the photo industry are teetering on extinction. And all of the companies in the photo industry are not making the kind of money they used to make. And that is 100% because of smartphones yeah. knocking out the entire bottom of the market. So what drives me nuts is here we have this industry that is struggling. We've got companies being sold. We've got companies that you know are literally teetering on the edge of going out of business. And yet they're still repeating the same mistake. Instead of looking at... Why are the smartphone companies so popular and doing so well? What are they doing? All but one of the companies, camera companies, are making bigger, larger, heavier, more expensive cameras. They're like going (laughs) full speed ahead in the opposite direction. All the while, their sales results are dropping. Even Sony is not like increasing. Sony's leading the pack in cameras. Absolutely, they're top of the heap. But, But they're struggling compared to where they were. Everybody is. Yeah. And and they've all lost the bottom of the market. If to I can play smartphones. devil's advocate to that argument, though, I don't believe that they could go in the same direction as where smartphones are going and expect to sell cameras because you know if they started making smaller and smaller cameras, then people would go, well, why would I buy that? Because I've already got something like that in my phone. Right. So, well, so I think there's, there's two sides to that, okay. that conversation. I don't disagree with you at all, but I think there are two sides of the conversation. Um, I'm not suggesting that they should essentially go full tilt all the way to the smartphone end of it. And, and I don't think ultimately, again, talking about photographers, I don't think that would be reasonable because the one big advantage that cameras have compared to smartphones today, they have much, much more capability, both in terms of built-in features and in terms of accessories, right? Yeah. Uh, including lenses, but, but also accessories in general. But I do feel that there's a balance point where instead of pushing all the development towards, you know, bigger sensors, more megapixels, et cetera, if they would start to put more development in software... They could also, if you think about it, continue to expand the capabilities on cameras. So, you know, for instance, okay, you know, what's to say for wildlife shooters? You know, we've got cameras now with, with incredible, you know, uh, autofocus tracking and that for shooting like birds in flight, you know, and quite a few companies yeah. are, are boasting this now. But why not give me the camera? And I'm just thinking outside the box. It just came to my mind. So I'm pulling straws here. So sure. <laughs> open your minds, gang. But why not give me the camera that's going to let me shoot that burst of that, that, that eagle flying across the screen? 
But then while it's in the process of beginning to save those pictures to disk, why not have it eliminate the ones that didn't grab focus that are out of focus? Yeah. Why even save them to the disk? Yeah. I mean, why? Why should I have to deal with those after the fact, right? So there's so much more that we can do with software that is going to separate our cameras, our photography cameras from smartphones. So that's, so I don't, and obviously I kind of said something similar before, you know, in order for these camera companies to stay in business, they are going to have to keep coming up with new cameras and different cameras because they don't want us to buy a camera and say, well, I'm not going to need another camera for 10 years. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that happens, the cam- they all go out of business. Yeah. They need us to keep buying new cameras. Yeah. My argument is bigger is not the answer to keep having us buy new cameras. My argument is let's focus on the features that actually make it easier for us to create better images. I, you know, For all the years I've been a photographer, the idea that a camera will start to take some of the workload off of me and ultimately make my job easier and make my images better... I'm all in. Yeah. Do it. Like, give it to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm all in for that. So to me, it's like, let's develop that software. And and part of that development is somewhat handicapped because we have to be able to get processors smaller and faster. Yep. We have to be able to do it with less heat. Yep. So I understand all that. But to me, that's where they should be putting the research and development. Mm. Not so much in le- how many megapixels can we cram onto a disc? Oh, but then we need a whole new set of lenses to do that. Yeah. Right. So, so anyway, uh, I'll get ends, off my soapbox now. I'm done. <laughs> it, it never ends. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Uh, All right, Joe. Well, great to chat once again. As always. Yes. Thank you. Mate, thank you uh, for stepping in. Uh, it was Glyn's 20th wedding anniversary this week, so I let him off the uh, hook. So, <laughs> you know, I'm coming to realize, Bruce, yeah. <laughs> you need, before you retire, be, before you put Shutter's Inc. to rest, yeah. you need to write a book because it will be a bestseller. Why is that? And you, it should call it Excuses from Glynn. Okay? <laughs> and, and so you just need, you need to document all of these things because I'm sure you have many more th- from before when I came along. So you, you, should, you should just Excuses from Glynn. I'm sure that at least in Australia it would be a bestseller, if not, if not worldwide. I mean, I'm in Allentown, Pennsylvania. People here in Allentown have met Glenn. So, hey, yes. believe me, I, you know. So, yeah, like, I think you're, you're missing out if you don't start taking notes. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome, right. matey. Well, you have a good week. All right, Bruce, you do the same. Um, Take we'll, care. We'll talk soon. See ya. All right, bye now. Shutters Inc. Another audio to you.com quality podcast. For questions, comments and feedback, email the boys at shuttersinpodcast.com.